Hi, everyone. This is Tim. I want to thank you for the download and tell you about Direct Sellers. Your wine to your door with your friends. Discover a new wine each and every month. Life is complicated. Your wine shouldn't be. Let's make it easy. Join the Direct Sellers Wine Club. Get monthly deliveries direct to your door. Discover new selections each month. You can also build a business. Direct Sellers' revolutionary approach puts the focus 100% on you. We're focused on exploration, discovery, and education. Each month, our expert selects great premium wines from wineries around the globe. Each selection is accompanied by a tasting note detailing who, how, where each wine was crafted. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. With each shipment, we help refine your palate and identify regions and varieties that you love. And when you do find that perfect wine, we are the only club that provides its members an opportunity to stock up at club cost. Our goal is to help you fill your own cellar with wine that you love, wine that you're confident about and that you're proud of, and most importantly, that you're excited to share with your friends. We are confident in our selections. After all, our success depends upon our members' continued happiness. However, should any of our selections arrive damaged or simply not meet your fancy for any reason at all, simply let us know and we'll send you a replacement bottle. So if you want to find out more about Direct Sellers, go to our Radio MVP Facebook page and click Shop Now. There's a link there on the page. So take a moment and check out Direct Sellers for you can get your wine to your door and with your friend. Direct Sellers Wine Club. If you're looking for more information on Direct Sellers, you can contact me at my email, Tim at RadioMVP.com. That is Tim at RadioMVP.com. Hey, everyone, this is Tim. Just want to thank you again for the download and uh, remind everyone to uh, listen to the end of the podcast. We're going to have a little extra long addition to this one as I'm going to be saluting a friend of mine who passed, a uh, fellow broadcaster from Western Pennsylvania, uh, Mark Shossie. We're thinking of you. We love you. We miss you. And football season in Northwest Pennsylvania will never be the same. That's for sure. All right. Get ready now for episode 10 of the Radio MVP podcast coming up right now. Hi, everyone. This is Tim along with Anthony, and this is episode 10 of the Radio MVP sports podcast. As we have reached the halfway point of the baseball season, the All-Star game is being played as we speak. And uh, we'll catch highlights later. Looking forward to that action. It's going to be a good game. Locally, we have Danny Salazar pitching for the Scrappers tonight. We'll talk about that for a little bit. And we're going to get into high school football as we're 44 days from kickoff. Yes, 44 days from the opening game. And we'll talk about that. And I can also let you know that I will be on WIZ Z104 this coming fall along with Matt Emch. Uh, bringing you the games here on the Valley. We'll be covering primarily and exclusively uh, Trumbull County games and Lake Count, or excuse me, Lakeview versus Howland as our kickoff game. So it should be a great opening game, and I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have Matt coming on the uh, podcast. I haven't told him yet, but uh, he will be coming on here shortly. I uh, got in contact with him a little bit today, so we're looking forward to uh, – myself uh, making my acquaintance with Matt and uh, talking about that. Plus, we're going to talk about a friend of mine who passed uh, this past 
uh, June at the end, about two weeks ago, and Mark Shosh, and we're going to pay a little tribute to him at the end of the podcast. I hope you uh, stay in and listen to that. It's going to be a little long, I think, but uh, it gives you an idea of who Mark was as a broadcaster. Uh, This was uh, when he joined Lee Moans and myself in the uh, booth late in 2015 football season. Mark was a play-by-play announcer for uh, Lawrence County in uh, Pennsylvania. I'd done it for about 25 years, if not longer. Unfortunately, Mark perished in a uh, car accident about two weeks ago. And Mark had a stroke two, about two and a half years ago and was unable to uh, broadcast the high school football season that year. And for, I was fortunate enough not to have a job at the time and have worked for Forever Broadcasting prior to that. They contacted me and I said, yes, let's do this. And that's how I ended up meeting Mark and Lee and broadcasting games over in Western Pennsylvania uh, in 2015. And uh, I really look at it as a uh, really a blessing for myself because I had an opportunity to uh, meet Mark and Lee and a few of the other people over in Western Pennsylvania. And it was a, a great season that year. And I found some highlights uh, from that season where Mark, myself, and Lee did a little pregame. And I found some uh, highlights from the last game we did. Uh, it was a playoff game in November. So I'm going to play that at the end of the podcast for those of you who want to know a little more about Mark Shoss. If you read my uh, post on Facebook about him and seen some of the posts I've made recently about uh, his uh, services and stuff that uh, has happened. So uh, I just want to take that moment and really pay tribute to uh, Mark and uh, thank him for his friendship and uh, just a little side note here, and I don't really mean to go off on this, but is ironically, I uh, mentioned earlier that I'll be doing high school football for Z104 this year. And I made the announcement on Facebook on June 28th. And Mark was one of the first guys to reply on my uh, thing, wish me well, and thank me again for filling in for him in 2015. And, you know, like I said, we've struck up a friendship and we kept in touch and we had an opportunity, especially on Facebook, to stay in touch. And unfortunately, uh, that was the last day uh, before the accident. And I actually invited him on my podcast. I gave him a message that night. I says after I got done uh, t- uh, messaging back on the uh, forum, I said, well, let me uh, take this opportunity and invite him on my podcast. And. Uh, Mark's a great character, and he'll be a lot of fun, and we can talk Western Pennsylvania football and, and, and stay in touch with that part of the, uh, the country and, and high school football in our area because we have the, kind of that five-county viewing area that people talk about on television. And a lot of people know uh, people from both Western Pennsylvania and Northeast Ohio. So it was a great opportunity to bring him in. And unfortunately, I, I went to work that week, that night, or actually that following day, and I came home, and I was – just about to jump on my uh, computer to see if uh, Mark replied and I got a phone call from a my uh, former partner Lee Moan and uh, he gave me the news about uh, Mark's passing and it was a very sad moment and a uh, but I wanted to pay tribute to him tonight and uh, we're going to do that at the end of the podcast and I just want to uh, give my best wishes to all those in western Pennsylvania who knew Mark on a more personal level throughout the years uh, my condolences, and uh, what a terrific guy. A little salty at time, not afraid to take a jab at you, and uh, have some fun uh, both on the air and off air, and uh, that's what made Mark uh, special. 
And talk about a person who had passion for high school broadcasting and high school sports. It was Mark Shosh. And Shossie, you're going to be missed. Uh, those of us who knew you love you. And we wish you uh, internal rest as uh, we move on to the high school football season in 2017. And I may make a parents or two over on Western Pennsylvania this year helping out if possible. We'll have to wait and see uh, what it materialized. But they've contacted me and I says... I uh, have my calendar filled, but if there's anything I can do, I'm going to do it out of uh, respect for Shashi. So back to high school football and baseball, Mark, uh, and everything going on. So, Anthony, what's going on today? How you doing, my friend? Boy, it's good to be back. Uh, just getting off the golf course here a little bit ago and uh, family dinner, which is nice. And always nice when you play well. Uh, so uh, the past few rounds of golf have been very generous to me. Uh, but you ever reach we finally reached the all-star break and man it flew by it flew by and um it always does that first 80 games go quick yeah we're sitting at eight, uh 47 and 40 uh two and a half games up over minnesota three over who i think is our main challenger kansas city um thankfully we have a guy named Corey kluber as a race because he's carried us the past month and a half or so uh five straight games with 10 plus strikeouts in the sixth game against a really good Detroit offense. I know they're not doing well right now with eight strikeouts. Um, if you come in 47-40, and 40, uh, you're getting more consistent of late. I think you're 7-3 and three your last 10. You, you won the series against Detroit after looking less than watchable against the Padres. But you, you go 3-3 three and three in that homestand. I know it's not great. It's not what you want against two bad teams at home. But the offense is showing better science at home. And that's what you need to do because you're going to have a lot of home games the rest of the year. Uh, your first half was road heavy. And you took care of business on the road. But if you want to be a playoff team, and you're going to have to win at home. And they got a lot of tough home series uh, within the next month or so. The good news is most of the NA- NL inner Inner uh, league series are over. Oh, thank God. And uh, we don't have to really worry about that, as I think they only won three games in the, uh, like, three and 13 or three and nine or something like that. Something ridiculous. It's it's bad. And and it really tells you about the uh, season so far. But, yeah, Kluber has been phenomenal. And it definitely set the tone for the pitching staff. And I think Carrasco has turned a corner, too. And we're seeing better performance. Yeah, he looks really good his last start. More consistent performances out of him. And then we have the three-headed monster at in in Bauer, <laughs> Clevenger, and Tomlin. As what I mean by three-headed monster, I mean three guys who I honestly think are fives. And and I'm not you need a five. Yeah, but I, you I don't. Mean, and one of them will merge as a four. I think Bauer's emerged as a four. I, but I'll say that there's no doubt the first half. If you really want to put it, pinpoint it, is is not having a healthy, productive Salazar in your lineup every fifth day yep. as a pitcher. I mean, that's really I think comes down to it. Last year, he was an All Star pitcher. Going, you know, at this time of last year, coming out of out of the break, he was not as effective. And started this season, he was totally ineffective. And they have to have a Salazar. Who can help them, or they're going to have to find another pitcher along the way. If they make that a trade, or if it's someone and it's going to come up, I don't know. But I imagine if they do make a move, it would be for a starting pitcher right now. 
They need a Sonny Gray, for example, uh, a player of that caliber who can fit into that three-hole and really give uh, the Indians that left that they need the second half of the season, especially if Salazar is not available. But Salazar needs to be a starting pitcher. Uh, I'm not worried about him pitching out of the bullpen. I don't want him pitching out of the bullpen. They need him as a starter, and that's where it's going to matter most. And if he can't do it, then the Indians' front office is going to have to make a move and find themselves a a pitcher for the second half of the season. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see um, if and when Salazar comes back. You're sitting at on July the 11th right now. The trade deadline is July 31st at 4 p.m., I think it is. So you have roughly 20 days, um, but when you start play again, it will be the 5th, 14th. So you got l- less than 20 days. Um, I think it all depends on what they do to deadline, you know, on what Danny Salzer does. It, if they feel that he can come back and not just not be the dominant pitcher he was in the first half last year, maybe be 80% of that guy. Uh, the they need a number half, three. A number three guy, in my opinion, they is won't. a winning pitcher mm-hmm. who keeps you in ball games. Okay, and, and what I mean by a winning pitcher is a guy who, when let's say he makes another 15, 18 starts in the second half. Of those 18 starts, the Indians win. Not necessarily the pitcher getting the credit for the win, but the Indians win 12 of those 18 games. Yeah, And I, and think, I think that's what we're looking for right Nine now. quality starts. Yeah. If you can go nine quality starts, and that's six innings of really good baseball. If the Indians are 12-6 and six over the next... 18 starts out of the three pole. They're going to be okay. And that's what I think the Indians are looking for. They're looking for a guy who every fifth day can take the ball and keep them in ball games. And if they get the win, meaning they get the credit for the win in the statistical category, fantastic. That just means that he's been more effective than you hope. And that means he's gone at least five innings and probably six innings most most games, if not more. And with the Indians' bullpen, that's what you're looking for. You're looking to extend in the second half your starters to save some innings on the bullpen. Uh, you do have a fantastic bullpen. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they're, everyone's going to have their day where they fail. That's pitching. Sunday night was that. Yeah, and that's pitching. I mean, Goody's been great all season long. He just wasn't on top of his game uh, Sunday night. But, you know, that's just the way it works. And But the Indians' offense, I think, can pick up some of the slack. And I think, like you mentioned earlier, I think it is turning in a corner. Obviously, what Ramirez has done in June is just ridiculous and phenomenal. And enjoy it. You know, I always talk about enjoying sports. This is where you want to enjoy a player, watching them play. Uh, Ramirez is that guy. And, you know, it won't shock me. And I'm not sure what the Indians' plan will be with probably the extended DL of Kipnis. If he's going to be gone three to four weeks, that some people are talking about, uh, I could definitely see the Indians, again, moving Ramirez back to second base during that time period. I'm not saying they have to, but I could see it definitely working like it did in the first half of the season and then try to fill the hole a third with Gonzalez and maybe Ushela and others. Yeah. I don't know exactly what their plans are. Uh, and they may just keep Ramirez where he's at because he's an all-star and he's done the job, and Gonzalez can fill in at second base. But, again, he has the ability to play second base. It's his natural position, and if you definitely can do it, 
you, you're going to think about it. Obviously, I think Gonzalez defensively can play the has shown he can play second base and will play it well. The question is, how much can he contribute with the bat? And the Indians are going to need that the mm-hmm. second half. Whoever fills that position in, uh, the the missing of Kipnis is is going to be huge. Yeah, and I, listen, it's it's never good when a starter goes down. It's, we don't want that. It did happen at the favorable time with the All Star break. Um, you know, so you can take those five days and rest. I said off the air a couple of days ago that you can send Kipnis to anywhere, and I'll make Eric Gonzalez my starting second baseman. <coughs> Don't worry, we're going to edit that out. <laughs> Excuse me there. I have never been a big fan of Kipnis. I think Gonzalez can come in and hit 230 and play average defense like Kipnis has, and they won't miss a beat. Well, I think Kipnis is a much better player. And you get better speed. Uh, Yes, you do. But I think Kipnis is a much better player than what he has shown this year. I think what we've seen last year out of him is more typical of his abilities. Uh, I think nagging injuries this year from the beginning has hampered him, and we've seen that with other players over the years. And But you know what? you got to give credit where credit is due. The Indians have made some changes this year to the outfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, the addition of Zimmer. Has oh, brought he's been a new, a yeah. Has brought a new dynamic to this offense and defense. He's the center fielder we were talking about. I mean, yep. when we were talking about a month ago, where Chisholm Hall was playing center field, I says, you know what? He's filling the job, but do you really feel comfortable about Chisholm Hall playing center field? Yep. And you, honestly, I like I said, I think he could do the job because he had enough speed on the corners to get by with Brantley and Almonte, but Almonte's been injured. And he's just coming back from uh, from his Austin Jackson's, Austin Jackson's now injured. And you bring in a Zimmer who has the ability to hit the gaps, hit some home runs, steal bases, play defense like uh, a gold glover coming in as a rookie. It's just it's a phenomenal thing. That speed is just you can't teach it. And but you can teach defense with speed. And he looks like he has learned it and he understands it and he's getting better. And what makes him even more Impressive, in my opinion, besides the speed, is his arm strength and his pinpoint throws. Mm-hmm. Those, to me, are going to be so big the second half of the season because, let's face it, uh, he may not play every day, but he's going to be in the lineup no, five out of seven years. Yeah, yeah exactly. And he's the center fielder, and the Indians are going to have to work in the other players on the corners. Obviously, Brantley's going to play you know, over in, uh, in left field. And right field's going to be kind of a revolving door between Chisholm Hall, Almonte, and Geyer. and Geyer. You know, those three are going to take their choices, you know, chances out there and take their opportunity. And I think it wouldn't shock me if one of them uh, fills in at DH once in a while, too, simply because you need to get, like, Chisholm Hall's bat into the lineup more often. And maybe you have a switch hitter in Almonte playing defense. Mm-hmm. And is that going to take oh, – I think what it will do is give uh, Incursion some days off and maybe play less first base, you know, or even give Sal, uh, Santana the day off. And I think they're going to need it. I mean, there's the guy, when I look at the second half of this season, traditionally he gets better in the second mm-hmm. half. Uh, the Indian's going to need it because he's not providing the power numbers that he did last year. 
and he's not driving in the runs. He is getting on base with the walks, and that's what he does. But um, batting 220 and less, it's just, it's just not doable in baseball today. I know uh, strikeouts are up in baseball. I know less contact is part of baseball today. But the bottom line is uh, the Indians need – Not in this offense, need, the offense. The team. Indians need a player who can put the ball in play and have opportunities to do it. Now, uh, Santana has the ability at times to hit the gaps, and he's a good base runner, and he knows how to – uh, really uh, manipulate his runs on, on base, going first to third, even still occasional base and stuff like that, which is an impo- important part of the game. But you have to be on base to do that. And he walks his fair number, but he just doesn't get enough base hits, in my opinion. Uh, and right now the Indians need that in the lower part of the lineup to, to drive in more runs. I mean, last year he was able to do that. This year he hasn't been as consistent, and that's a that's a huge hole. I think uh, teams can attack and will attack the second half of the season because uh, I think you're going to see people work around him to get to Santana and force him to uh, beat you. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can uh, come to the plate and make those adjustments and beat the shift and drive in runs here in the second half of the season. I think it's really important offensively. If there's one key player the Indians have that has underperformed besides Kibnis, it's Santana. And those two... And I'm not really counting on Kipnis because of his injuries, but Santana has been playing, and he's going to need to play. Now, Chisholm Hall, I'm not sure how significant his uh, groin injury is, and it'll be uh, important to get him back to full health because uh, give that boy the axe handle, and we've seen a totally different player this year out of him. Lonnie Chisholm Hall last year took a nice step forward, and he was really good. And he came on late in the playoffs with a big three and homer against Price to really, I don't want to say knock Boston out because it's only game two, but when you beat a 22-3 and three Rick Porcello and then you bring David Price back in, you're expecting to get a Cleveland 1-1. And what Lonnie Chisholm did in the second inning was say, nope, no, this series is over. And then he's taken that into this year where he leaves the team in RBIs. Yep. And he's been banged up for... You know, ten, fifteen games, parts of the season, yeah, and then that's and the I thing. think what's what's understated too, which isn't Hall, is how good defensively he's become the past couple of years in right field. Because outside of Zimmer, his his arm in right field is a cannon, and you got three really strong arms when healthy. Um, I think you know, going back to Bradley Zimmer, Indians pitching staff has not been shy to say that he's made a huge difference in their the way they pitch, the way they go about, you know, throwing hairs. And you can see it too. Early year they were I don't want to say they were afraid, because this Indian staff is not afraid. They've proven they're out and they're aggressive. But they're not afraid to throw the ball in the strike zone now to let it get hit. I think early in the year they were trying to strike out guys. And when you do that you have a tendency either to strike out a lot of guys and look really good Walk a lot of guys or get up a lot of home runs. Uh, so you've seen the home runs numbers. The Indians pitchers have given up, gone down. Um, and Zimmer just is an absolute stud out there. His speed is impressive. And he causes opponents so much pressure with his speed. And that's one thing that you know in football, you can't coach speed. No, you that can't. guy has been blessed with a lot of speed and 
And so far in his young major league career, he's looked really good. Look, anytime you can t- extend a pitcher's life on the mound by getting extra outs through speed in the outfield is huge. Um, many, many years ago, and I remember this very factually speaking, talking to a lot of, uh, hearing a lot of managers speak and going back to the days of Rick Manning when he was in center field. Rick Manning was a, a really terrific defensive center fielder. Uh, maybe he didn't have the greatest arm strength, but that really didn't matter as much as his speed to run down balls. And he used to play a shallow center field and was able to race back on balls better than really any outfielder i ever seen. Uh, that was his, his thing. So if a ball got over his head, it was smoked. Uh, and that's what made him kind of unique as an outfielder is you can actually add, in my opinion, batting average to a player for the outs that he gets to a pitcher. Mm-hmm. You know, Manning used to hit 230, 240 some years, but he'd probably get 20 or 30 extra outs during the season for his pitchers. And then right there you're batting 260, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what I think Zimmer brings. And Zimmer actually can hit the ball. Yep. And he can hit the gaps and he can hit doubles, turn singles into doubles and doubles into triples. And those are really taking those extra bases are going to be big. But, you know, I agree with what you were saying earlier about the pitching staff and before Zimmer arrived. And I think that's what we were talking about. Chisholm Hall in center and prior to that, the beginning of the season, you know, Jackson or whoever was out there. Look, it opens up more of the alleys. Mm-hmm. And... I think some of the players found those alleys. You know, we did not have Davis in center field, who did a tremendous job in in, in right, excuse me, in left field and center field last year at times. And those are the things that matter. Uh, Getting outs matter. That's why you know teams go into this goes into the uh, the switch and stuff like that uh, because they need to. They were they're looking for outs. The reason why you know you put three guys on the right side or the left side is because they're going to hit it there, and it's proven that. And if you cover it, you're going to get an out, and you're going to preserve that out for that pitcher. If you're in your normal position, chances are the ball may go through in that hit, and thus you know the inning is extended, more pitches are being thrown by your pitchers. I mean, defense is all about positioning, and we're finding more and more about that and the analytics of that in baseball. And we're seeing more and more strikeouts because I think players are trying to hit it over the heads of uh, shifted infielders, and these are the things that are, are happening in baseball. And it's just an adjustment period, I think, for everybody. Uh, I think some of it will go back down to normal, and someone will say, you know, that's not my game to hit fly balls. I'm better off trying to hit a line drive mm-hmm. and hit it by a, by a player versus uh, trying to hit it over their head and get it, you know, just past their grasp into the outfield. And I think, you know, a lot of that is just you know, how teams are and players are adapting to how defenses are playing them today. And you know what? That's that's the fun of baseball. Baseball is all about making adjustments mm-hmm. and enjoying the strategy of the game. And I honestly do believe that's what makes it special and that's what makes it unique. And each player brings his own uniqueness and talents to the team. And I do believe the Indians uh, have an opportunity to win this division. I still think they're the most talented team in their division. I think right now that the three-hole is the biggest problem for the Indians on the starting rotation. Obviously, the weakness in the lineup in Santana and Kipnis this year has 
been a big uh, problem. Lindor, too, has been... Well, Lindor doesn't bother me. Because Lindor might have been, just in my opinion, overplayed. I would have loved him not to make the All-Star this year. Yeah, Simply I because yep. I would have liked him to have the three or four days off to rejuvenate. But it's not that big of a deal. He's young. He's going to hit yep. 260, 270 this year, and that's fine. And he's going to have 20-plus home runs, and he's going to drive in 75-plus runs. I'm not worried about him at all. He's still the player that we've seen in October. I think when he is one of those guys with the pressure's on, you're going to want him at the plate. And those are big-time players. Derek Jeter was that type of player. Uh, there's many times Derek Jeter was a 270 hitter or mm-hmm. less during the season. And then, you know, when it came September and October, the man was just devastating and good. Yep. And, you know, yeah, yeah, he was a 300 hitter at times. I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from a Hall of Famer. I'm just using him as an example. You need players that are who can make big plays and are not afraid of the moment. And Frankie Lindor is one of those players, in my opinion, is not afraid of the moment and looks forward to that and has that ability to, in baseball, to understand that every at-bat's a new opportunity, every ground ball's a new opportunity, every inning's a new opportunity, and not let – Past plays really dictate his overall performance, and that's that's a unique uh, skill set in baseball. You need that because you play so many games, you play so many innings, you have so many at bats, and it's very important. And I really do believe long term the Indians are are okay. I don't think I do believe the three hole is the biggest problem they have. They finish that off. They're going to save. You know, 25, 30 innings off that bullpen, and that bullpen's already fantastic. So if you can do that and limit the innings that Otera and Goody and Logan have to pitch, I'm not saying they can't pitch. Obviously, they're major leaguers. They can do it. They have Some of them have proven track records, and they'll do their job. But you don't want to have to use them four times a week. You want to use them two, two or three, three times yeah. a week and match up at times, especially Goody and Logan and Otero. All three of them more matchup pitchers than we ever had. Yes, they can go multiple innings, and I think that's what Mount McAllister brings you is a guy who can go. And here's a guy who's actually stepped up his game this he's year. He's had a really good year. And, uh, and I've always been really crit- critical of years. him. Yep. And I thought this, this year he's really stepped up his game and has really uh, become that guy that they can count on to uh, bridge innings. And right now, if you have a starter goes five innings, you need a guy can who go. can give you two innings. Mm-hmm. And right now, McAllister, in my opinion, is the that, most successful yep. player they have in the bullpen to do that. Yeah, and are you speaking of guys who love the moment? Obviously, we saw le- le- last year in October uh, that Lindor rises to the occasion with how many clutch hits he had. You know, game one against the Red Sox to bring us back to even, tied after Boston took the lead. Um, game one against Toronto were the only runs scored off of Rillendor, uh two-run homer against Estrada. Um, the, the first half Jose Ramirez has had this year is scorching hot. And he's now two for two in the officer game in a stolen base. <laughs> I mean, does he not... You know, does it count I mean, for my fantasy just, team this year? The all-star game count? <laughs> oh, my goodness <laughs> gracious. But, I mean... The streak that Ramirez is on, like, it's wanting to get hot for a month and to be, you know, not too bad. Okay, nice season. And, it's, and then it's something to have a good year like he did last year. 
like last year he comes out of nowhere really because in 2015 he was sent down. Right. And I was a big critic of like, who the heck is this guy? And last year he's like, okay, he had, and now this year he may be five times better than he was last year. Yeah. You know, it's incredible what he's doing it, this year. He is proven. He's what and his he, defense might I, be better than his offense. Let me, let me give you a comparison of what he is to me. And they're not necessarily the same type of ball player, but they're similar in stature, meaning size, mm-hmm. and the way they play the game, and the way they're able to make big hits is is Altuve. Yep. I think they Good. those two are two players are very similar in what t- type of uh, skill sets they have and what they bring to a ball club. And sometimes it just takes time to learn at the major league level. I mean, Ramirez came up. Before Lindor did one year because yeah, he of an was injury. Shortstop in 15, actually, yeah. yeah. And he actually did okay. And then the following year, he had, you know, started a season and I think he started a season like 0 for 30 or something a ridiculous. Lot, yeah, it, it, it was, it, it was it really was bad. bad. And in the process, they sent him back down and he came up later in the year and contributed. And but it, yeah, and contributed and, and was, you know, part of the, uh, the, the uh, 2013 Indians that had a chance, you know, to make a run late. And won all those games and, and faltered in the wild card team, but you know last year proved his his merit and what he brings to a club, and this year just it proves that he's an all star and a guy who really deserved the contract that he got. He the might extension. be an MVP type player now. Yeah, you know it very well. Be, you know if Dustin Petrora could be an MVP, then Jose then Jose Ramirez could be an MVP. You know, and if Altuve can be in the discussion for mm-hmm. an for an MVP. So can a Jose Ramirez. And we're talking about the same type of player, a guy who loves the game, who really looks for opportunities and maximizes skills. And those three players, I think, really are those type of players you're talking about. And they're, they're building blocks for a team. Those are the type of player you want on your team to build around. And yeah, he's he now a fits, franchise player. Yep. Yeah, he fits the Indians perfectly because he can hit from both sides. He, you know, I understand why Francona likes him in the five hole. I really do because it makes people pitch to Encarnacion yep. exactly. And you know, obviously Blant, Brantley at three can do the job. The question is, you know, above that, the one and two spot has been shaky this year at times, and the Indians need to be a little bit more consistent in the second half at the top of the lineup and the bottom of the lineup. Uh, Gomes has shown at times to get a nice hitting streak going and then, you know, unfortunately go one for 25. Yeah, And, and that's, that's you know, he's better than that. We've seen that. I really think he's another guy bouncing back from injuries from last year. It's going to take some time. I'm not worried about it. If he brings the defense like he does, I I'm have no problem. I'm not worried about Gomes if he hits 240. He's at 225, I think, right now, maybe 230. If he can maybe catch a hot streak again here and end up 235, 240, I'll take that because his defense is incredible. Well, that's exactly it. And And in October, runs are going to be at a premium. You have enough guys that will hit, that will get on and get them in. When Gomes up, all you got to do is what he did a couple nights ago to sack fly. Exactly. Take advantage Just of opportunities. Don't give away an at-bat. It's a, Make, move a guy over, get a guy in occasionally, get on with a walk or hit. The most important thing 
a player can do is make productive outs. Yep. What are productive outs? Those are RBI outs. Mm-hmm. And those are moving RBI runners. Moving guys over. Yep. Moving guys over. And that's what you need out of, you know, him. And that's where my problem with Santana this year has been is he hasn't been as productive with his outs. And to be quite honest with you, they just haven't been. He just hasn't looked the same this year as he did last year. I think defensively he plays fine first base. I'm not worried about that. Yeah, he's gotten but a lot it, better it, defensively at first. His bat, though, is he just you can't have Santana's. You can't have is, an automatic out at the sixth, seventh mm-hmm. spot in your lineup behind a Ramirez because they're going to pitch around a Ramirez to get to him, and yep. it's going to be up to him to step up and be able to uh, drive in runs and make productive outs and make. Uh, you know, make teams pay to pitch in him. And he can do it. I don't ever expect him to be that 300 hitter everyone thought he was going to be coming out of the minor leagues. Guy. No, I don't either. I think Just hit 252, 260. Give me 25 Give me 260 yeah. and, and drive in runs. Exactly. Yeah. And be a good quality base runner that he is. And I honestly believe, get that 100 walks. You yep. bat 260 and get 100 walks, I'm not going to complain. What his biggest problem is, I think... When there are men in scoring position, and Rick Manning has noted this a couple of times, his swing gets really long. Yeah, he, he's over-anxious, in my Which opinion. Which is, I mean, you know. you, you got to get over that as a major league hitter. Yeah, you do. you got to shorten and your swing. And for a guy like Zimmer or Lindor or even Ramirez, that's fine because they're within their first four years playing. But this is already his sixth or seventh year. Oh, it's even more than that. He's been and around a long is, time. Yeah. So he's going on eight years in the organization, yeah. and this is his walk year. Yeah. Well, he's not going to walk far. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I don't it, think a big market for. No, I, you look. This this is an important second half for him on that on that level. Yeah, but this more is more big. importantly, the Indians this year need him to be productive in the second half. Traditionally, he's a second half player. We'll have to wait and see what happens uh, this year. The but two fifteen just doesn't cut it. No, you the, can't be a two fifteen and drive in sixty runs this year. And be be a almost an automatic out when you need a guy who can produce, move runners, and hopefully get runners home. Listen, if he wants to go one for four in games in September, October, I'm fine with that. As long as the other two or three bats are productive, meaning sacrifice fly, getting runners over. And finally, he started to – teams will always shift when he's facing a righty. He will always have a pull side shift. Why he doesn't bunt more, which he's starting to bunt more, all you're going to do is ask one guy on third baseline, you got to double. He does it, and he has done it over the years. He's gotten better at the past couple of weeks. I, I will you know what? That. But, I, but I, I understand it. I'm not saying he shouldn't use it as a weapon, but you can't do it every time. No, you can't do it and every time. But the truth of the matter is you don't want to take the bat out of his hand who can hit a home run, I mean, right who now, can't hit the ball him. into the gap. I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. There are times where he, needs to, do he needs to do it. But the bottom line, he's the guy who needs to hit the gaps yep. and also put the ball over the over the wall, and he can do that. Look, if he bats 245 like he does most seasons and he gets close to 20, 25 home runs and drive in close to 80 RBIs, we're not really worried about him. Uh, will some other team take a chance on him? It's possible. I'm not worried about that until the offseason. All I care about right now is what the Indians are doing today 
and what the Indians will be doing in the future this year. And quite honest with you, we'll just have to wait and see exactly where the Indians lie on what they want to, what they choose to do with him in the future. My personal opinion, if he continues to do what he's going to do, if they lose him to free agency, it's not the end of the world. Nope. You can find another player to fill that gap at first base slash DH uh, who can do as well, yep. if not better, than Santana has done. Now, with that said, I, I have an idea. Go ahead. Trade Justin Verlander to the Astros or Boston, and we'll see them in the playoffs, and Santana will be a 400 hitter because he crushes <laughs> Verlander. And right there, yeah. you're going to win the game. I don't know if... Send him to Houston or to Boston and let's bomb him. I, I, I'm curious to see what Detroit does. Yes, I they're old. I think they sell. Um, I think Verlander here's the has, problem. Here's the problem with Verlander, and it has nothing to do with his pitching. Has nothing. He's to deserved do, the right to stay in Detroit for his career. I well, think. it's not even that. The reason he's going to stay in his career in Detroit is thirty million dollars. Yeah, I mean yeah. his contract is like it's, two or three more years, and three, it's three. Yeah, yeah, and it's twenty five plus twenty eight, and I think thirty million. Yeah, I mean it's huge. It's, it's just it's something ludicrous. It's tough to move a ball player. With that type of money, especially to a team, even if they're as successful as Houston, Houston they is. don't have the money. Exactly. Can they put 30% of their payroll into one guy? Nope. That's just like the Indians. Can the Indians afford to do That's why the Indians don't have that. I mean, the closest they have is Encarcion. Yeah. yeah, at $20 million, which is unique for the Indians, but I understand why they did it. It was a, great, a total mm-hmm. upgrade. And they're willing to take that shot to try to win a world championship. And that's what you got to do. You have to stand up to the plate and take take your swings as a front office at times. And Antonetti has done that uh, in his in his years as GM since he's taken over. He's not been afraid to make moves. He's made some very important moves. And some of them worked. Some of them haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was not afraid to trade two number one draft picks to get a starting pitcher in Ubaldo his first year. As a, a GM. So it shows you what he's willing to do. You know, and Ubaldo Jimenez was, you know, an average pitcher at very best. I mean, a guy with great stuff, if he put it together like he did the second half of the 2013 season, he looks great. But most of the time, he looks what Baltimore had and what we had prior to that one half a season. So, you know, you gotta, you're going to hit your home runs, you're going to, you're going to strike out, and you're going to hit your uh, your, your singles as a uh, GM. But it's going to be interesting to see what they what cho- choices they make. I really think in the long time, the Indians have a uh, you know uh, opportunity here, and I think the most important opportunity for the Indians we haven't even talked about it yet is the health of Terry Francona. Yeah, that's uh, and that and that's going to be a big part. I mean, I'm glad he was able to diagnose what the problem was. And uh, have the surgery to hopefully alleviate some of the uh, symptoms that he was having and make the second half easier for him. Uh, I honestly believe stress has to pay a lot of, on it. And oh, the way yeah. the Indians have been playing, and let's face it, his life is baseball. It, I'm sure that had a Last lot of stress year on also it. also probably took a bigger toll yeah. than we Than most than we fans would recognize, yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree it, with you. But I think this I year is even more it. stressful. Oh, I think this year is more stressful yeah, because, because the pressure's on him. Yeah. And last year we came to win. Well, last year we were the team that everyone thought had a chance to make the World Series. We were but the, was the underdog. Cinderella, yeah. We were the underdog, and you know they went into Boston and beat Boston. They came home and won the, the uh, AL championship, yep. and 
you know, in the same vein, you know, took Chicago to game seven at home, you know, had the three, one lead. So yeah, I honestly do believe that just a combination of the past year and a half probably had some effect. And And I'm no doctor. I'm not trying to diagnose this problem. I'm just glad that they were able to find it. And he probably and, had this season for a lot longer than just this oh, year. Yeah. yeah, and there's talk for a long time that this would be his last contract as a manager. I think he wants to win here more than anything. I honestly believe when will that will he can retire. Well, it very be could happen. Greatest manager in Indians history. It could happen, and I think he wants to do that. And uh, you know, let's face it: the Indians and Francona family have a history, and that history means something to him. Mm-hmm. And to not just represent the city of Cleveland, to represent his family, his dad, and himself, who both played for the Indians, mm-hmm. I think means something to him. I mean, I don't think we talk about it all that much, um, but I honestly do believe it matters. And I'm glad to see he got the procedure done and that he's taking this time off for himself. And quite honestly, if it takes another week before he comes back, I'm fine with it. But you know what? In the same vein, it looks like he'll be back come Friday, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. The you know the doctor says good. He's good. I'm happy about it. I just wish him the best because um, there's no question in my mind he's the best manager I've ever seen the Indians have, and I think he might be the best manager we'll ever see in Cleveland in our lifetime. Uh, There are some great guys who may follow him. And we don't know who that will be in the future. And hopefully Eric that's Wedge. In, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. your buddy. Yeah. Now, he's going to be up in Toronto. He'll, he'll get the job <laughs> up in Toronto. But, uh, uh, you know, we'll Is have Wedge to still in baseball? He's with Toronto. He's, he's a special assistant to Mark Shapira. Boy, isn't that? What a shot. <laughs> I know, really? There, there's going <laughs> out on a limb, boy. huh? That's going out Boy, on That's like saying peanut butter and jelly go all together. <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> Boy, Blue Jay fans are really uh, John Gibbons. It's kind of like, you know what it is? It's kind of like a GM and Dan Gilbert. They just go along together. <laughs> yeah, how's that paid off for the Captain Chauncey Billups? Low-balling him. Well, you know what? He does that to everybody. At the, at the, yep. I mean, this is Dan Gilbert. Uh, right Boy. or wrong, this is who he is. Yep. I and mean, we all known this for the last 10 years that he's owned the club. And like I've said before, in the end, all owners make final decisions on everything. Uh, I don't care if it's the Dolans and how much the Indian fans despise the Dolans for many years. Or if it's Dolan's Haslam. gotten a pass past couple of years for me. Sure. But prior to this, the Dolans were. $60 million would do that, though. Yeah. And well, <laughs> I was going to say, a World <laughs> Series appearance will make that change. Oh, well, yeah. You know, and But the, let's face it. Up until last season, the Dolans were probably the least oh, oh, favorite. I wanted them gone. The least, I wanted them gone. The least favorite owner in Cleveland. Let's yep. be honest. And Gilbert yep. was number one. Yeah, he was. And Haslam was number by two default. by default. <laughs> by default. Yeah, he by was default, new. you're number one. He was two. new. And, you know, he said all the right things. He wants to win, but he keeps, you know, he likes making changes at his front office, too. And well, He well, makes more changes. Than... Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Long and I, I honestly... Hats. I, I don't want to get on a tangent about the Browns, but, you know, I, I, I'm i curious to see how long Haslam can stay bottled up and let this uh, continue to move forward. And if he has any sensibility about sports, he'll let this organization grow, 
for the next two to three years and see how it develops. Thank but God I, for Pat Bolin. Yeah. Well, thank God for Pat Bolin. But you know what you're, you're, you're talking about? Thank is, you, Uncle Bill. But you, what you're talking about is what most owners need to be. A yep. guy who gives his front office opportunities to Ultimate make control. plays yep. and to bring in players that they believe in and to get coaches that they, they believe in. And if they don't, they make the change. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Fox is a perfect example. He was there for a couple of years. They moved him on, you know, and that's just the way the- it works. And you look, you know, Kubiak was in, and now he's gone. we got a brand-new coach there. What, so we'll see what happens What the long-term. big thing is, in regards to that, I won't get off too much with tangent because it's only July 11th, and we got September through December of football to talk about this. Um, but Pat Bowen fired Mike Shannon, his good friend, who won him two Super Bowls. Yeah, look. So, you There's know, a shelf life for everybody you in football. don't fo- win. There's a shelf life You're gone. for everybody. If Paul Brown could be fired, anybody could be fired in sports. You know, Bill Belichick got fired too. Yeah, my my, my point is anybody and every. There's a mm-hmm. shelf life for everybody. Ninety nine out of a hundred times, the GM slash coach will never make the decision on when they leave the sport. That is almost guaranteed because the owner makes that decision every time. And the owner has that right. You as a fan and me as a fan or as a media person can disagree and point out the reasons why they're making the mistakes. But the bottom line is it's their money, their team, and they make the decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the Cavaliers are in a a precarious position. It looks like it has to be Altman. Cody Altman is going to be the guy. Uh, He's running the organization right now. Obviously, if they give him a, you know, a three-year seven million dollar contract or a three-year six million dollar contract he's going to accept it because you know he was the third or fourth guy in the organization prior to taking over as acting gm right now though he's not quote-unquote acting gm but he's running the organization so i mean i'll be surprised if it's not i think if you want to think out of the box you know how i love to do that and i don't think this will ever happen but if you really want to stir up the pot and have some fun uh, go out and hire Larry Bird. Ooh. I'm not saying it'll ever happen. I don't think it ever will happen. No. My personal think, if, if Dan Gilbert listens to this podcast, which I would bet my <laughs> money that he doesn't, he, he doesn't and I don't think that. he would actually give a shit what I have to say, <laughs> but I would definitely reach out and talk to Larry Bird to see if he'd be interested. Now, will he be willing to uh, make the, the concessions that Larry Bird wants? Probably not. Just like you know, Griffin, he you know, he turned down the Knicks job. Same reason. The Can Knicks were not him? willing to make the concessions that he wants of control of, a, of an organization. And I don't blame him. If you're going to run an organization as a general manager or a president of a, a team, you have to have authority. Mm-hmm. And that's what John Elway has in Denver. Yep. And that's what Pat Bowen has given him. And as long as Pat Bowen is breathing, he's going to have that opportunity. What happens, you know, God forbid, when Pat Boland does move on, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Denver because there'll be yeah, a change. Yeah, hopefully they keep it in the family. But you don't know yep. what's going to happen. Yeah, you don't. You don't know what's going to happen because it every, change, when something ends, change happens. And change, change sometimes is, is better, sometimes worse. But change is inevitable, like you just said. I agree yeah. with you. It's going to happen. And the Cavaliers right now, 
will probably hire from within, and it'll be Altman. I can't imagine right now at this scenario they would go in another direction. Like I said, if you want to throw a, a curveball, a wild card out there, uh, I honestly think, you know, and I don't think he would take the job for the type of money that Dan Gilbert's offering. No. So, and when you get down to that level, you have to look at Altman. And it's really Altman's job to prove himself right now this summer and then be named GM. Just like when David Griffin got his three-year contract extension, he announced it himself. Yep. If you remember that. And that was a big, big to-do is he came on and announced his own mm-hmm. uh, extension. And Dan Gilbert was nowhere to be found. So, obviously, there's always been a relationship. There, yeah. yeah. And it looked, like I said, owners have final says no matter who it yep. is. If they're going to sign a player or not sign a player, owner makes that final yes, decision. Uh, who they draft in the NFL, owner makes that final decision. The organization present what they plan on doing and the owner signs off on it yes or no mm-hmm. and it works in every organization the indians when they want to make a move they go to dolan and say this is what we want to do do we have your blessing and that's what it comes down to and every organization does it uh i don't care where you're at that's exactly what needs to happen uh in professional sports because it's their money it's their team and the bottom line, it's their decision. You can take all the information given, and you have to either sign off on it, choose to make your own play, or not. And that's what it's all about in pro sports. And pro sports with owners is a lot about egos. And that ego sooner or later shows up in all owners. Very few owners uh, don't have that ego on display of some sort. Uh, some of it is a very quiet central uh, ego and others are more flamboyant Mm -hmm. and want to be involved. If it's a Jerry Jones, if it's a Steinbrenner in baseball, if it's a Dan Gilbert in basketball, if it's a Mark Cuban in basketball, bottom line is the reason you know the owners and how well they are is because they make the final decision or at least they sign off on the final decision and then they make the decision on those who make those decisions. And that's how it works in pro sports. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Cavs do because this could be their last big run at it. I know they just signed Jeff Green, uh, lost out on who did Crawford to Minnesota. You know, we mentioned this so, before. The Indian, I mean, the Cavaliers just don't have a lot of room to make. No, moves. no, they don't have a lot look, of. They don't cap have the assets. Or, they, yeah, don't they don't have the assets. If they're going to make a trade, it's going to take three teams to make a trade because they have to acquire assets to deliver to a team that you're trying to acquire that player from. Uh, the Indian, or I keep saying the Indians. The Cavaliers have two players that they are willing to move, even three players mm-hmm. if you count Love in that in that category. Uh, obviously they can make those moves and they're going to be some salary relief in that process. But the bottom line for the Cavaliers is they're going to be a veteran team. You have LeBron James. You've already made that decision by trading away your draft picks to get the players that you have acquired. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those who are under contracts are not going nowhere because they're going to keep, they're going to make their money while they can like a Channing Fry, you know, He's not going to make $7 million anywhere else. Mm. He's going to stay here. Oh, and that's yeah. just the way it works. I would, too. I w- and I can't blame any player for I that. I would, too, if you were to make $7 million sitting on the bench. Well, you have to. Yeah. 
you know, this is, you know, do you change your game to be on a LeBron James team? You do. Yeah. Because you need to. And Kyle Cover, you know, he's going to make that seven, eight million dollars a year. And that's the same for thing. For three years, isn't it? Yeah. He's done it for a year. Deal. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what happens. Uh, J.R. Smith with his 13, 14 million dollars a year. Why? Because he won a championship and he was able to leverage that. And, you know, he's part of LeBron's posse in a sense. Yep. You know, these things all matter. I don't care. You know, it is a player's league. And the players do have leverage. And the ownership has leverage by deciding how much they want to spend and how they want to spend it and what they're willing to sign off. I give Dan Gilbert a lot of credit because he has allowed those who ran his team the last three years make great decisions and in the process win. Uh, he was, you know, when Griffith decided to make the change at coach and put Ty Lue in, you know, he signed off on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't have to. He did. And when Griffin decided to trade his draft picks away to acquire talent to make a run at the championship, he signed off on it. And this is where the Cavaliers are at. Look, if LeBron James leaves, and I don't think he will personally, but if he does, yes, the Cavs are going to suck for a very long time because they don't have any assets. (laughs) That's just the way it goes. (laughs) But you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to be honest with everybody. You won a championship last year. It's worth it. You don't get a chance to win championships. They want more. They're greedy. You know, this is not a hard cap league, so things are different. You know, in in football, you can dump salaries mm-hmm. and you know cut players to to alleviate some salary yep. room. And you know, your team, the Denver Broncos, are in the process of doing that and changing their team. Yep. Yeah, they want to compete and try to win, but did they make the playoffs last year? No, no, no. Uh, was Peyton Manning available anymore? No. Who was your quarterback last year? We had uh, – now, don't hate me on this. <laughs> Actually, I like him. We had Trevor Seaman, who, I when like healthy, him. looked really good in the three games. And it's the first year as a starter. Yeah, seventh-round draft pick. It was his fully first healthy. year as a starter. Yeah, looked really good his first year as a starter. And then in game four, he got hurt. Look, you're going, from, you're going from a guy who's going to Canton to a guy who was on Northwestern and was a seventh-round draft pick. Okay? I have nothing yeah. against him. I'm just saying, you know uh, who the difference. Who may starts this year? There's a right. lot of, and I, uh, I know point. a lot of people I know don't like Trevor Sanders. You're not, look, anytime you lose a Hall of Famer, you're not the same team you were the year before. You may have the same defense, but you still need the offense to win. You still need the leader. The your leader is your quarterback. Yep. Your leader is your quarterback. Your leader is your quarterback. And that's why the, the, the Browns are in the situation they have been, because since they've come back, They've only had one leader, and that was Couch when he first started. No, Kelly Holcomb. And Kelly Holcomb. <laughs> I know. I agree with you. Holcomb, Holcomb did well. Holcomb did well. But since those days of the two-headed monster and Couch and Holcomb, <laughs> the they, two-headed haven't, monster. they haven't had a quarterback who stood out and led this team and had the ability. The one-year quarterback had a great year. They won 10 games. They still missed the playoffs. Yeah. But they did win 10 yeah, games. You know, they, I mean, yeah, they, the they, bottom line is it shows you the importance of it. Look, that is your leader of your that's team. That's the franchise that thought Spragging wins Every with team that wins it. You're going to find a few teams over the years who won with a less than stellar quarterback, but they're far and few. There's not many. You need a uh, Pro Bowl We want Brock Osweiler. Hey, he's going to bring it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, he's gonna bring it. This yeah, year. he is. I know. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's, he's, gonna, he's gonna find gonna out what's left. Not to have a good defense. He's gonna cash him. his check every week. Hey, 
Look, Brock can't win games by scoring 17 points anymore. Let's, you know, football <laughs> season is only a few weeks away. Matter of fact, uh, about 10 days away from uh, training camps. And uh, we're going to get. 52 till we beat Pitt. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Why is she just around the corner? 52 till we beat Pitt. 44 days to high school football season. And uh, we're going to try to get a few people on. Like I uh, mentioned earlier, I'm going to be broadcasting games on Z104 this year along with Mac Emch. And Matt and I, uh, hopefully we're going to bring Matt on the uh, podcast. I can pretty much guarantee he will be because mm-hmm. I'm going to tell him he needs to. Uh, he doesn't know this yet. but I'm going to yeah. tell him he needs to. <laughs> so, and, if you want to keep your job. And uh, quite honestly, we're looking forward to trying to do a high school uh, football roundtable and uh, get some other people involved besides Anthony and I along with uh, Matt and hopefully a few other people along the way either as uh, – Weekly guests or uh, people who will come in and out throughout the season, talk high school football with us, and preview the upcoming week. So you want to stay tuned and download this uh, podcast each and every week from this point on because we're going to try to go weekly from this point on, mm-hmm. and it's very important to both of us as we uh, try to wrap this one up here. Anthony, as I mentioned earlier, stay tuned for a uh, a little salute to uh, Mark Sash. Uh, Shashi and I uh, broadcast the game. I'm going to give you the uh, pregame and a few plays and uh, series on it uh, for you can hear what Mark was about, and it should be a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy it. So uh, as we wrap up this podcast, stay tuned for that. Anthony, uh, we're at the All-Star break, 47-40. and 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not a bad number, really. No, it's uh, probably not the number I would have thought going in like we talked about in March or April. Uh, you got 75 games left. If you can go 41 of those 75, win those. You know, if you can win 41. You're probably going to have to get close to 90 wins. Let's be realistic. In this division, you can win this division. You can win it with 88. I'm yeah. not saying you can't win it with 88, and that's 41. But I'd think, rather stretch the. you got to think you'll be better than seven games or a 500. So right. probably 10. I'm thinking if the Indians, if they, like you said, 75 games left. If they uh, win 43 of those. Yeah, that would be perfect. If you can that go would, 43 that, and 32. That that's gets you 90 wins. 43 and, and 32 gets you right at 90 wins. Right, and that's where you need to be. And I honestly do believe with one quality winning streak, and when I mean quality winning streak, eight I mean seven, seven, eight to 10, 12 game type win streak, um, it can really change the, Dodgers the atmosphere. Have won twenty four other past twenty eight games. Uh, we'll talk about the Dodgers. They if are phenomenal. Can, They're my favorite team to watch right now. If you can just do twelve of fifteen, twelve of seventeen, yeah. that division's over. Yeah. Well, that's here's the thing. Eight Coming, of ten division might be over. Here's the thing. The next two and a half weeks, the Indians have an opportunity. Or the next fifteen days uh, before the trading deadline. What about Stretch. the next six days? You got Oakland and San Francisco, well, six games. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about games. right now through July 31st is the opportunity now to extend your lead. You're two and a half games up on the Twins. If you can push that by July 31st over five, I think you're going to make them sellers. Two five. I think you push two five or. You gotta. You you have to be five. I'm just saying, if they're yeah. five games better than them, it's they're gonna have to make that decision. Do they want to sell? Same Even with Kansas, Kansas City. City. Too, yeah. Well, whoever's the second place team is, you have to be at least five games up on them, if not more. And Kansas I think City's they can do probably it. five because they're 
looking at five or six guys walking at the end of the year. I don't think Kansas City's going to uh, sell. I think they're going to try. No, I think they're, gonna I think they're in the buyer's run. market. And they're gonna think, like you just mentioned, they're going to try to make one last run. I think and they'll try. That's to why get the next that... two and a half weeks really matters because if you can put a dagger in their heart and make them seven, eight games behind, and make them look at the wild card only and see exactly where they stand at that point, they may have a different thought process of uh, trying to acquire certain players. And you, like I said. The more teams that are in sell mode, the better off the Indians are. Yeah. And they, especially in the Central Division. From here to July 31st, off the top of my head, you get the A's, the Giants, the White Sox, and the Angels. Gotta win them. And the only series. Win two out of three every time. The only series in there that's tough is Boston. There is no reason this, this division. Uh, you're on the road, they should play better. You're in the West Coast to start the the drive, you know, but here, look. What scares bottom me line is, is San Francisco, and yeah. they have never beaten San Francisco. Right. I don't know well, what it is. But. Bottom line is, and they haven't played well against the National League all year. So, here's the thing: win win series, win two out of three in all those games. And that's what they've done lately. They've started to win series. Lately. And if they can end up sweeping a couple of them along the way, yep. then you're talking about a long win streak, and that's what we're looking for. And I do believe they're capable of it, Anthony. Even if you go. On a five-game win streak, that division's probably over. All right, let's wrap this yep. up. That's episode 10 of the Radio MVP Sports Podcast. Stay tuned for our salute to uh, Mark Shosh. Uh, Shossie, this one's for you. This is uh, you and I and Lee in the last game that we broadcast together. Enjoy, everyone. Thanks again. Hi, everyone. I'm Tim Cotton, along with Lee Moons and Mark Shosh bringing tonight's ball game. And, guys, second round of the playoffs. You guys know more about... Jeanette and I do. Give me an idea of what we expect here tonight. The Jayhawks, Lee, we know a lot about the Jayhawks. Having seen them last year in the quarterfinals, a 46-32 victory over Nishanik. Uh, uh, Nishanik victory in that game. Talk to me a little bit about uh, Jeanette. Obviously, it's a little bit different team than last year, but uh, when you've got Roy Hall, the head coach of the Jayhawks, one of the most historic programs in the history of the WPIL. You, you got to be happy with the Jayhawks coming in nine and one right now. Yeah, Jeanette, uh, they, they got something to prove. I mean, they're losing in the quarterfinals, so this is the Shannon team, and you know they're they're a team on a mission. The first thing I you know, when I think Jeanette, I always think of Terrell Pryor. You know, he's one of the star athletes on this team. Uh, you know, going on to its big things, and now. Uh, Playing in the NFL, well, I don't know if he is in the NFL anymore. Is he on a roster? Last I saw, he might have been on Cleveland. But anyways, uh, this Jeanette team is just a very, very good. Uh, Jordan Hall comes to mind also, but they got some very, very good weapons here down Jeanette. They've had a great, uh, great season here down Jeanette, and uh, looking for a good, uh, good game here tonight. And guys, when you look at history, you look at the Jeanette Jayhawks uh, going over uh, 700, 700 wins yeah. in. Uh, and a victory over Sarah Catholic in the second week of the season. Uh, trivia. Uh-oh. Only two schools answer this. in western Pennsylvania have 700 or more wins. Wow. Jeanette is one. They have 707. I know the answer. You know, you know the answer. I should know the answer. Okay. I would take a guess, and I'm probably 100% off base. But how about... Uh, Someone like yeah, Oil City. Nope. 
somewhere very close to home for uh, uh, for yours uh, for yours truly. Newcastle. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Newcastle Red Hurricane. You got it. Newcastle, the first WPL team to hit 700 yes. wins. Jeanette just did it this year. They, they, some of these kids didn't even realize they hit 700 because they're so focused on this year. I read, read a little article with the quarterback, Juana Sanders. He said he, he wasn't really focused on that 700. They are so focused on getting back you know, to trying to get the Heinz field. That, that's their main main goal here. I mean, 700 is a big thing, though. And you know a lot about this, both of you, both of you guys. When you look at Jeanette, this is a team that's won seven outright WPL championships with for a WPL championship way back in 1932 with Matisse Ford in Newcastle. And it's a program that was similar to Newcastle, to Aliquippa, uh, Beaver Falls, teams like that, that once played in the highest classification in the state. Over the years, the numbers have dropped, and you know now they're back. They're playing single-A football. You know, it, Looking at some of the numbers uh, leading up to that game, Jeanette went from being one of the top schools in Western Pennsylvania to being the 35th school in the state of Pennsylvania, 35th smallest schoolhouse in Pennsylvania playing football. You, you, you got to like what Jeanette does in doing this in, in doing this game. Yeah, without a doubt. You, you, you think of a. You know, how small that school is, and you look at Clareton, how small. And then Aliquippa, which amazes me, they continue. They're they're a single they're a single way school, and what they do in double ways is remarkable because they're one of the smaller schools in the state. But Jeanette, just great tradition. Uh, their fan following is just phenomenal down here with the Jeanette Jayhawks, and uh, they they got some studs down here, Jeanette, which it's going to pose a big challenge. Last year we had to worry about Julian Bats. Uh, he. With what first couple of plays of the game, he, he just was running up and down the field in a thriller. And the Shannon finally able to pull that game out last week, 46-32. But they got some pretty good running backs here this year. He's, also, he's not here. He's yeah. at IUP, correct? Yes. yes. You got uh, quarterback is Giovanni Saunders, and you're going to say a lot about Sanders on the night. Uh, he's thrown for over 1,200 yards. He's got 12 touchdowns on the year. Uh, he's ran for about 530 yards as well. Uh, the one thing about Jeanette, Kareem Hall is their top running back, 754 yards. He leads Jeanette with 16 touchdowns. He was injured in their rivalry game with Greensburg Central Catholic. He is not dressed. He will not play tonight. Has an ankle injury. Hasn't played so far in the playoffs. Such loss. They've got two pretty good running backs as well. Swade Rudman was has taken over, and Redmond's he's pretty good. Uh, you know, some serious touchdowns on year 15 to be precise. And then uh, you look at the first round uh, playoff game. You know, in, uh, they did pretty well running with football in that game as well. Jefferson Jones ran for 93 in a score. So you got to think they're going to be able to run the ball here a little bit tonight. And I would think I'll see you'll see Sanders take off and run at any opportunity yeah, if they can run the ball against the Shannon defense. The Shannon's uh, their defense has been a little lack slack this year. You know, but they they played very well last week against him against the Bentworth. I mean, they were they had what eight right. sacks last week yeah. against. But they're gonna they, they got two. They said two very very good running backs and in Jefferson and, and they both they both had 93 or 94 yards last week. Uh, so both of those kids are, are capable. You said Sanders definitely uh, definitely will be running the ball. And you talked a little bit about Jeanette too and the Shannon. You got to remember both of these teams were pretty high seeds. 
Yeah. Both, both were second in their conference. Jeanette finishing second to Clareton, of course. Clareton, the number one seed. And the Bears are a phenomenal oh, team. Nishanik, the number six seed. Nishanik, of course, nine and one. Their only loss on the season was way back when to Shenango back in the second week of the season. Jeanette's only loss was to Clareton in week six. To me, Frank has just become that much better of a leader for this team. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously last year he had a little bit more weapons to work with. Yeah. And I think Frank has done a tremendous job running this offense. He studied very well under Coach Frank Bongevingo. Uh, you look at what Antoine does. You know, he's going to be, he's got a good chance of being a thousand yard rusher, thousand yard passer. And there's only four, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's not too many of those floating around. You know, he's ran for 16 touchdowns. He's ran, he's thrown for 18 scores. You know, he's fifth best passer in Class A this season. And that's saying something because I don't, you look down through the WPL leaders, there's a lot of Class A quarterbacks that are putting up some serious numbers. Zach Chandler at Avonworth for one being the leading passer, and Jason Dombach, who we got to see for 48 points worth. They have a state record. Yeah. 555 yards. <laughs> but you look at the Snishanic offense, and I think we knew what Robert Minzy could do, but I think it's involved a little bit more as the season has gone along. Yeah, Jonah Vitale's really stepped up. Uh, also, that's a nice one-two punch in, 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 in Lindsay and, and Vitale, and and uh, I'll tell you, Ty Sears really stepped up too in the tight end position. Also, he's done he's done a nice job. Yeah, but rumor has it though, and you may ask how I know this. How do you know this, Mark? Only for the simple fact that Ty was getting fitted for a brace uh, on his hand while I was at rehab, so that's how I got to know these things. <laughs> so that uh, Ty uh, does have a little bit of issues. Maybe you know they were working on making something for him to to uh, be at 100% tonight. So hopefully that will be the case. But uh, he was coming in as I was going out <laughs> of uh, my my rehab session. So that's how I know. Amazing the things I've learned over the years. <laughs> the fact is, timing know, is everything. Uh, timing is everything. You're absolutely right. Although uh, I must say there, I, I would like to say there are many places I would like to be other than rehab. rehab. But I'll tell you what, rehab is what's allowed me to be here, be able to join you guys uh, right now because uh, we greatly appreciate rehab. Uh, rehab has been, <laughs> has been has been tremendous. Did you talk about Jonah Vitale and what he brings in? He brings that breakaway quality that maybe Lindsay or Antoine doesn't have as much of. But I'll tell you what, another kid that I really have been impressed with this season of the change he has made from one year to this year has been Danny Walker. Yeah, Walker's definitely uh, been a nice uh, addition. He's uh, he caught the ball 30 catches so far this year. Right. Seven touchdowns. He's definitely uh, done a nice job. Average over receiver. 16 yards per catch. Just really, I mean, he had a big game last week. And it was a big part of the, their offense, the targets, and what he was able to do. They even ran the ball with him a couple times on a uh, on a swing-type play. And those, are, those are huge uh, scenarios where you have to be, you know, one thing that you know about high school football, as you've seen through the years, the more you show a defense, the harder it is for them to prepare for you. And in the playoffs, that's a big thing. If they know they have two running backs to prepare for, a tight end, a wide receiver, it's all important ingredients of an offense. That's difficult for, for an opposing coach 
Yankees have really put all that time in to try to take one of those players away from them. You know, one thing that the Shannon's going to face, though, uh, tonight, that they're going to have Excuse me, Jeanette has a lot of speed in that defensive defensive end, so defensive side of the ball. So we're going to see how Welker, can he get open against these defensive right. D-backs, you know, with the speed. That said, though, I think you might be able to see some misdirection from Nishanik. Um It'll be interesting to see how Nishanik walks, walks, especially those defensive ends, for like the Jets week with Welker. Uh, I think you'll see Lindsay line up with some different looks. As we've seen that throughout the year, so and the offensive line is going to have to do the job as it has done through this entire eight-game winning streak. Yeah, how how big you know how big that first score is going to be also you know to, to try to, to try to get that lead and I'm, I'll be curious to see if Machina goes to their hurry up this uh, tonight because they've been slacking away from that a little bit um, as. The last couple of weeks, we have seen that they've been going more traditional offense. We'll see. I'll be interested to see if, if they do try to speed things up here tonight. Also, I would agree with that. I don't think. And, and the one thing we haven't talked about, and I think it's going to affect both quarterbacks tonight, has been the wind. It's not anywhere near what we had yesterday with the 47 mile an hour wind gusts in Lawrence County area. But it is a good wind. There's a good breeze going sideways probably 15 to 20. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) The other thing too, Lee, and we had a chance we talked about it when we pulled in here. Uh, Things are a lot brighter here at Cannon McMillan. Love it. And a lot uh, greener as far as dark and light green as far as the turf uh, goes because last year, if I remember correctly, uh, we didn't uh, the far corners as the end zone, especially that far corner down there. Tough to see. It was tough to see. Yeah. Although, you know, with Clarence running the football, it wasn't hard to figure yeah. out who had the ball. Right. It was Lamont Wade. Wade. Yeah. yeah. And, and but you look at this, uh, what they've done here at Cameron Millen, ripped the turf up after that game, put only lights in. To me. This is Big Mac Stadium. is a, is a, It's a phenomenal place. Yeah, it is a great place for high school uh, high school game. Easy to get to, also, and uh, other than downtown camp, but no, it's, it's actually a great place. Oh come on! Uh, yeah, no, th- no, this this turf is just phenomenal. Um, it's a great place, a great host for for a game. Uh, Run the WPI. I want to take a quick look before we get into. Other games in the in the single way. Abworth is in Clareton. And then on the same side of the bracket, Schnango and Frazier. How about that? Schnango trying to get the, the semifinals for the first time since 1987, I believe it is. Yes. So almost 30 years that Schnango's made it to the semifinals. If my memory serves me correct, Mr. Barry Freitz was running the ball for Schnango, and Frank Bonjavingo was coaching the Wildcats in the you know in his long coaching career over at the Wildcats, but. As a matter of fact, they lost, I believe it was to Manaka, and the game was at, at Taggart Stadium, and uh, Freitz was injured in that game. And I believe, if I, if I read correctly, I believe Frazier has not been to the semis since 1983. Is the, yep, they haven't been to the semis since 1983, so you get two schools. <laughs> One of those two schools are going to be getting to the semifinals. Well, let me sum up Frazier for you in simple terms. They gave up 32 points, I believe, yep. all season. They gave up 32 points to Southside Beaver last week. Which is scary. And if it wasn't for Southside Beaver and Glenn McDougal going 4-2 in the first overtime, they may still be playing. 
Yeah, that's true. So, you know, he was that. They were that close. Southside was to upsetting Frazier in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I don't want to say they were a phony four seed, but you know, we'll see tonight. I would yeah, not be surprised. Play a part up there. I, I won't be surprised to see Shenango have a good, uh, a great offensive night against Frazier. And this side of the bracket. The winner of this game is going to get the winner of Cardinal World North Catholic and, and Bishop Canavan, which we got a chance to see uh, uh, Cardinal World from the yeah. Catholic. North Catholic beat Bishop Canavan earlier in the year, I believe. It was 20 to nothing, I believe, that score was. And then we had this game. The double-A action and some of the uh, games going around. Beaver and South Fayette, Steel Valley and Beaver Falls, Seton Sile, Aliquippa, and Freeport, Washington in, in double-A. Freeport... Uh, that's a tough draw to draw Wash High. Wash High is a tremendous program. Well, they're huge. Um, <laughs> their offensive line's like two six or something Kupa, like that. Alec Kupa, Kazon Pugh is a game-time decision. Uh, it. is just one of the most phenomenal teams I've seen. They have re- I've had a chance to call uh, some of the consecutive wins over the last few years and would not be surprised if South Seattle does not continue to roll on. I'll be curious to see how Beaver Falls comes back from that almost upset against Apollo Ridge because they're going to be facing a very good team in Steel Valley. And Triple A, Hampton, good luck with Central Valley. Mars and Ringgold, Franklin Regional and Bell Vernon and Thomas, and the big one in Triple A, Thomas Jefferson and West A. And we were talking about it coming down. Uh, two story programs meeting in the quarterfinals this year. TJ fell off early in the season. They're playing great football right now. West Day is playing tremendous football. Whoever wins that game has a very good chance, I think, to make it to Hinesville. And Quad A, Bethel Park, Woodland Hills, Central Catholic, and North Allegheny, the big game in Quad A. And Trafford and McKeesport, a rematch of that uh, matchup earlier in the year. And Mount Lebanon and Pine Richland with two very, very good quarterbacks going in that contest. Should be very interesting to see the Quad A semifinals coming up uh, in uh, next weekend. Boy, we're, we've got close to uh, kickoff time here. Yeah, we're doing a pretty we, good we job. Actually, yeah. By the well. way, thank you. Uh, good job, sir. <laughs> yeah. That's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I've always hey. prepared. He did very well. I'm very impressed him with uh, keeping things going. By the way, that Bishop Canavan Cardinal World North Catholic game uh, down at um, Deer Lakes, which I think is DWPL for putting it there. <laughs> so here. we did not have to go to Deer Lakes tonight uh, because we're <laughs> still looking for it. <laughs> and I just he warned me. Lee warned me last week. He goes, "Let's just hope it's not a Deer Lake. We'll probably be at Deer Lake." No, oh, I just remember the one time that we did well, go to Deer Lake. That was Shossie's one of his worst nights and ever getting like there. A, it's okay on your GPS to get there. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you remember correctly, Lee, last year at Deer Lakes, captain's getting ready to meet the center of the field. By the way. Uh, last year, Deer Lakes, uh, I lost my voice. You had to do the fourth quarter. And uh, the year before, it was even worse. Yeah. We won't <laughs> talk about that. So we're, we're, uh, glad, we're so glad we're here again at McMillan. Yes, we are. I'd like to try and not that talk will, about them at all. That will be a good thing. It would definitely be a good Slave thing. Slave Redman tees it up at the 40-yard line. If you're looking at your... Radio here tonight, you'll be kicking off right to the left on your radio dial. As they're going to have two deep. How about the all red uniforms for Jeanette? Yeah. And all white for Miss Janet. And then the kick is going to go into the end zone. And that will be a touchback. And that will put the ball at the 20 yard line for Frank Antuano and Miss Janet. High school football team. Yes. Jeanette challenging or uh, 
channeling their inner Buffalo Bills from yeah. last night's game. Yeah, they were good up to that. Yeah, yeah, Bills had a great night last night. Yeah, at least the Shannon's not wearing green. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I thought Christmas came early last. Uh, they said they, they said the people who are colorblind couldn't watch the game because they, 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 the two colors they can't see. Exactly. Here's the stop. It's going to be a handoff. And it's going to go left side. It's going to go for at least five yards, and he's going to be stopped there. I believe that was Robert Lindsay on the carry, and it'll be first, second down and five coming up here for Nishanik. Yeah, Treman and Briston really a good job. Is that good job by Lindsay? Really hard running there. I like Lindsay. He just kept the legs churning and uh, able to pick six up yards off the left tackle. Two receivers left, two right in shotgun is Antuano. He'll bring one receiver in motion. They'll fake the handoff. They'll go up the middle again. This time it is Vitel. And Vitel's going to pick up six on the play up to the 31-yard line, and that's enough for a first down. I have to wonder if maybe Nishank didn't pick something up off that uh Left side of their offensive line, the right side of the defense as they're quickly up to the line screws. Both plays have gone basically the same place. Yeah, they're going hurry up. In shotgun is Antoine, takes the snap, he's back to pass. He's looking, he's going to fire it out to Lindsay. Lindsay on the left side to the 40 and down at the 42 yard line, and close up in the 10 yard pickup. And just about shy, or did he get enough for the stick? Uh, they're going to me- measure. Nope, they're going to give it to him. It was a 10 yard pickup and a first down there. For Nishanik. Thanks to uh, Cannon Mac Athletics Director Frank Volcano and his staff for uh, setting us up with fine digs here tonight. And heat. And heat. Two receivers out to the right, one to the left. They'll bring the one left in motion. They're going to hand it off to the deep back. That's Lindsay up the middle, and Lindsay's going to cross the 45 for a seven yard game. Yeah, and Tuano kept the ball. China. Oh, okay. that, was, that was number seven. I was trying to he faked the hand up, and Tuano kept it. They made the nice choice getting that seven-yard game. Frankie's doing a fine job of faking out everybody, including our play-by-play. <laughs> he's done to me a couple times before. <laughs> don't, six. Yeah, don't feel bad. Oh, trust me. <laughs> it won't be the first time. It won't be the last time. <laughs> that I can and believe. In shotgun. <laughs> trips out to the left. They'll bring one in motion left to right, and they'll... Be a keeper there on the draw by Antoine. He's going to be stopped behind the line of scrimmage, about a one-yard loss, and the ball will go back to the 47-yard line. Eric Call, good job. He didn't go for that pump fake for Antoine. He was just charging the whole way, got him by the by the ankles and tripped him up. Great play there, Eric Call, middle linebacker for the Jeanette Jayhawks, shooting the gap, making the play. Antoine in shotgun. He'll bring his receiver in motion from right to left. It'll hand it off to Lizzie. Lizzie will go to the left side, crosses the 48-yard line, kisses his feet, crosses midfield, and makes a nice break of tackle. Gets all the way down to the 46-yard line of Jeanette. A nice hard run there by Robert Lindsay. That was all Lindsay, Mark. Lindsay should have been brought down at the midfield straight, but kept the legs churning, able to pick up the necessary yardage for the first down and keep this drive alive. First down and 10, 9.34 the play here in the first quarter. Opening drive here for Nishanik. Low snap picked up by Antoine. He'll throw it out and a diving catch is good at the 33-yard line. Be Chris Scott. Good diving catch by him. Good game by 13 yards there. And Chris Scott may be the forgotten man of this Nishanik offense. Four touchdown receptions on the season for Chris Scott. Yeah, you don't hear his name called too often. But that was a great, great catch by him there. Antoine 
will spring a receiver in motion. The high staff, he'll fake there. He'll keep it. He'll go up the middle. He'll get back to the line of scrimmage. He'll be stopped there for no gain. And now we'll bring up a second down and 10 coming up here for Nishanik. And, guys, do you th I think they're trying to set up though that jet sweep to the near side with Walker because he's gone in motion from left to right pretty much on every play. And, of course, as soon as they say that, Walker lines up in the squat to the near side of the field. And shotgun is Antoine. Two receivers to the right, one to the left. They'll bring one in motion, and they're going to hand it off on a sweep. Going to the left side for is Danny Welker, and he's going to pick up about four on the play up to the 30-yard line. <laughs> well, they set it up perfectly, but set it up to the they're going to the far, far near to the yeah. far side of the field. Down there, Welker able to pick up uh, about three yards on the play. Third and long, we'll see what Nishana collects. But definitely two down territory here. One-on-one coverage in the outside here. Antoine will roll to his right. He's looking. He's going to keep. He's to the 30, to the 25. Dives forward for the six. He gets enough for the first down and more up to the 21-yard line. What a great decision there by Antoine to tuck and run. Picking up that nine yards. There's a wide open on that right side. He had a man open downfield, but he had Scott and one-on-one coverage. He broke free, but Antoine chose the run. Good choice. First down. I think that's a design run for Frank Antoine. Look like it. Just to make sure. He's got to see that man break off right away to keep the throw football. Antoine back to pass. He fires over the middle. Has a man open in the end zone. Incomplete for Welker. Oh. Diving try. He had him at the post, but unfortunately he couldn't hang on as he drove to the, to the uh, ground. Danny Welker had a step on, him, on his man. Dove in the back of the end zone right by the goal post, but uh, could not hang on. The ball came loose as he hit the turf. Great effort, though, by Welker. Shotgun formation for Antoine. Two receivers left, two right. Vitell to his right in the backfield. He'll bring Welker in motion. He's going to throw it out wide, and it's going to be almost picked off. It was deflected as making that play, almost coming up with the ball. Number 53, Bobby Horn for the Jayhawks. Yeah, I didn't see who tipped that ball to the line of scrimmage, but it came in right in Bobby Horn's hands. He looked upfield. That was his That was his uh, bad point there. He dropped the ball. Just he had a pick six. <laughs> make sure you catch that football. Great rush up front. Able to get the hands up. That's the most important thing for a pass rusher. If you can't get to the quarterback, you get a hand up to deflect the football away. Definitely four down territory here. Right tail to the left of Antoine. He's going back going to hand it off to Antoine, and he's not going to go anywhere. He's going to get caught in the backfield and get tackled around the 25-yard line. Boy, good play there. That was Tremaine uh, Briston. No chance so for Vitell. lose about five on the play. It's like they knew with Vitell lined up as the sidecar back there that they knew he was getting the football. We're keen on him, and, and they shut that run down quickly for a big loss. So fourth down and 14, ball at the 25-yard line. Seven minutes here to play in the first quarter. Opening drive of tonight's ball game. The Shannock facing fourth down and 14. In shotgun is Frank Antuano. Two receivers left, two right. He goes back to pass. He's going we have a stoppage of play on the snap. And we're going to have a delay game against the offense. Makes it just that much longer. Didn't see that play clock going down, but apparently it did. Yeah, play clocks are right behind the goalposts here at Canada McMillan. 
So they'll bring up fourth down and 19, ball at the 30-yard line. Antoine in shotgun. Again, two receivers left, two right. Takes the snap. He's looking left, looking right. Now he fires left side and overthrows the intended receiver, making a, a nice effort Good on Walker. the ball was Welker. Trips out to the right, single to the left. Shotgun formation for Antoine. Antoine is going to do another screen play. This is to Vitale. He's to the 40, turns it upfield. It's close to the 45-yard line as he tackled from behind. That's enough for a first down here for the Lancers. And bring up first down and 10 from their own 45-yard line with 155 here to play in the third. Jonah Vitale is not the biggest kid in the world, but he was able to drag Giovanni Saunders for an additional four or five yards there and pick up the necessary yardage for a Lancer first down. Two receivers to the right, one to the left. They're going to bring Sears in motion. It's going to be a smooth play by quarterback Antoine, and Antoine's going to get stopped in the backfield as he stopped at the 42-yard line, a loss of three on the play. With the acceleration of Jefferson Jones that time in the backfield and caught Antoine before he even got a chance to really take two steps. He's trailing the play, too, and that great job by Jones. You talked about the acceleration. It was there. He brought Antoine down from behind. There's no way Frankie thought anybody was there to make that play. Antoine takes the snap. He hands it off to Lindsay. Lindsay goes forward. And he... What? The ball loose? I think the ball's loose. No. No? No, he uh, bounced off a couple tacklers. We have a flag on the play. I think we may have a face mask on... uh, one of the uh, Jeanette Jayhawks on the far side on that tackle. I'm going to guess this is a five-yard face mask, but we'll wait for the official signal from the officials. Yep. Hey, we're both right. How about that? I get the face mask, you get the five-yarder. Beautiful. All right. Give Lindsay, give Lindsay a couple-yard gain on that play. Obviously, I've taught you something over the last two billion years. <laughs> and you think I just ignore you. You usually do, but that's beside the point. <laughs> They'll bring up a second down and six coming up here for the Lancers. Ball at the 49-yard line. Shotgun formation for Antoine. Sears will go from the right side to the left side. Two receivers out to the left. They're going to pitch at the left side as Vitel. Vitel crosses the 45 down to the 40. As he moves, a nice pickup of about nine yards on the play, but he's going to be just shy of the 40-yard line, I believe. Give him the first down. Give him the first down. Another good hard run by Vitale. Boy, he's had a nice game here tonight so far. And Vitale did a good job, but he had a convoy in front of him, used his blockers well, able to pick up the first down as Shan quickly up to the line. Down to 30 seconds here to play in the quarter. It's going to be Antoine on the keeper. He goes up the middle, and he's going to be a host of Jayhawks there to bring him down right at the line of scrimmage. And they'll bring up second down and 10 as we're down under 15 seconds here to play in the third quarter. Jimmy Malik in the backfield causing havoc on that play. He was havoc, and then Britton came in and made his uh, 10th or 11th tackle of the night. Let's see if they try to even get this playoff. We're down to two seconds. Nope. Nope. All right, we've come to the end of the third quarter. That third quarter was dominated by Kinnett, and they set their lead here in the third quarter to 18-7. Over to Shannon, you're listening to High School Football on ESPN 1280, WJST, and the MSA Sports Network.
works all the time. This is Western PA's All Sports Station, 1280 WJST Newcastle. Second down and 10 here for the Janik. Ball at the 40-yard line, start of the fourth quarter. Antoine back to pass. He fires it left side for Scott and just out of his reach at the 30-yard line. And I bring up third down and long here for Janik. Yeah, and uh, Redmond uh, was on the coverage there, but Scott had at least two steps on him. Got an opportunity to pull that one in, but just a little long in this wind here, throwing with the wind here in the fourth quarter. Jack trailing 18-7. Antoine takes the snap. He rolls to his right. He's looking downfield. He fires. Has a man wide open. It's Walker. He catches at the 17 and goes into the end zone for the touchdown. All by himself was Danny Walker. And he just takes it the distance after catching the ball around the 15. And that was it. It's seven, six points more on the scoreboard here for the Lancers to cut down at 18-13 with 11:47 here to play in the fourth quarter. We saw that earlier. We saw Walker go down the middle of the field, get behind the coverage. He goes down the sideline that time. Again, between the sideline and numbers, wide open, Danny Walker, nobody in front of him, pulls it in for the touchdown. Walker, an excellent job for the Lancers. Cutting it close and looks like the chance is going to go for two. Well, when you think it's one, it's going to run the ball. Like they're going to go for one. Oh, they're going to go for one. Wow. Now. I thought they're going to go for two. We're down to four seconds. Well, here comes the. It's a touchdown. It's Walker. Excuse me, two-pointer. Walker lined up as the kicker and went straight in for the two-pointer. As soon as we saw Danny Walker line up as the kicker, you should have known it's a two-point conversion. Walker straight up the gut. And by when I say straight up the gut, Tim, I mean straight up behind the center and it gets into the end zone, diving for the two-point conversion. But a great answer here by the Nishanic Lancers. Only makes sense to go for two, trailing by 11 uh, before that touchdown. Now they get that two-pointer back. They trail by three, 18-15, 11-47 here to play in the fourth quarter. Rebones, Mark Schoss, and here's Julie Tim Continent to bring in tonight's ball game here on ESPN 12, AWJST, and the MSA Sports Network. As Denny Wilson will tee the ball up at the 40-yard line as you listen to tonight's game on your computer on MSA Sports Network. He'll be kicking right to left as you look at your computer screen. And you'd expect a deep kickoff now with the uh, with this wind. We'll see. Nope. Nope. Squib again. Squib again. It's up. Soderbein up back at the 35, crosses the 40, down at the 42, as I believe that's Swinton. Yeah, Swinton again. Ryan Swinton, a 5'9", 145-pound junior on the return. We'd like to try to see him kick it deep. Yeah, with Lee, I'll, I agree with you, Lee. Kick it deep in that situation. Yeah. Take advantage of that win. I was kind of surprised with you. Needless to say, it'll be first down and 10 here for Jeanette at the 41-yard line. It's a great field position. Here for the Jayhawks. Clarence taking a 22-14 lead on Avonworth in the third quarter now. Sanders takes the snap. He throws out. He completes it to 45 and rolls up to the 50-yard line. That is Mark Womack, the receiver, making that catch and run after the, the pass. Boy, too much coverage or too much uh, room there. Give him a five-yard cushion at least. And uh, Matt Natal had to come up and clean up on that play. But... Uh, 
a second and short variety of opportunity now for Roy Hall and the Jayhawks offense. Spino and Smith are the two receivers out to the left. They're going to hand it off up the middle. And it's Jones. Jones has room up the middle across the 30 as it keeps rolling down close to the 26-yard line. Jefferson Jones, the 6'1", 215-pound senior running back, just right up the gut all by himself. Once he broke containment, it was up to the defensive backs to make the play. And the big man making some moves downfield to make a couple people miss. Guess what? I, you know, I know they miss Kareem Hall, who you not in the lineup for the last two games, but Jefferson Jones, uh, he's showing off what he can do here this evening. He's a senior. Sanders in shotgun. He bobbles the ball and he goes forward as he tries to put it into the stomach of Jones and then pull it back and loses control. And he'll be stopped in the back though for about a two-yard loss. Yeah, that's the key right now. Neither team has turned the ball over except on downs here tonight. Almost, almost a turnover there. Under that read option play there, and it unable to really control the ball. Yeah, when you read in that situation, as you said, read option. Got to hang on to the football and didn't do so. They're trying to make a move before uh, had clear possession. Sanders with the ball. He rolls to his right. He's looking downfield. He stops at the hash mark. He rolls forward. He's going to keep it. He has room. He's at the 30 to the 25, down to the 20-yard line. He's not going to pick up a first down on the play. But he's going to bring up a third down and very manageable from the 20-yard line. About a third down and three coming up here for the Jayhawks. Yeah, we got two players down that collided with each other, one one on each team right now. From the Shannock, that was uh, uh, Sean, Sean Dorn. Mention that player. Still on the ground, yeah. Mm. Look like 54. Yeah, it sure is. That's a scene sticklehead. Head and, and Dorn's got to be wondering... How the heck he didn't make the tackle because uh, Sanders, he was in his grasp and then he wasn't. Boy, he had, Sanders had a man on the opposite side of the field. Anthony Schmidt was just calling for the ball. No one within 20 yards of him. Of course, that would have been a tough throw to get over there. Schmidt just wanted it, but Sanders saw the opening, picked up nine, make it third and short. Third and a long three going to be coming up here for the Jayhawks. But a big third down and opportunity here for the Jayhawks to keep this drive going. They lead by three, 18 to 15. Yeah, Sticklehead, and I think he might have just uh, collided there. Boy, he's going to get knocked off. Oh, maybe an ankle problem there. It looked like a Ben Roethlisberger thing, getting knocked off the field. He'll be back in a minute. Looks <laughs> 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 like Ben was going to just die last week, and they're talking about him maybe playing some this week. He's a tough guy. Oh, this whole Jeanette team's tough right now, too. Yep. There's no doubt about it. And they start the clock already. Nine and a half to go here, fourth quarter. Big third down here. Do you know it's four down territory? Sanders in shotgun. Jones to his left. Back to pass. He'll fire right side. He'll complete it to Walmack. Walmack is going to be down at the 12-yard line, and that's enough for the first down. It'll be first down and 10 after 12 for the Jayhawks. Give credit to Jeanette, Mark. There's just way too much cushion out there. Just throw it out there. Easy first down. Yeah, had about five yards cushion between Womack and Seth Pierce. And Pierce came up and made the play. But yeah. I'll take that uh, I'll take that yard all the time. It sounds first and 10. Yeah, you got to give them. you got to play a little bit tighter right there. Sanders in shotgun. Spread formation. Three receivers out to the right. They're going to... 
sweep it to Swinson, and he's going to be stopped in the backfield. Actually, gets back to the line of scrimmage, but a nice defensive play there by Antoine as he came up and made the play. Is Antoine a better quarterbacker or linebacker? What a play by the linebacker, Frank Antoine. And when you think he's that good as a quarterback, then he reminds you why he, plays he, was, defense, he yeah. was starting on this defense as a freshman. Second down and 10, ball at the 12-yard line. Eight minutes, 25 seconds here to play in the fourth quarter. Jeanette with a three-point lead. Got to hold him to three. Sanders takes the snap. He rolls to his right. He's looking into the end zone. Fires short of the end zone. Incomplete off the hand of the tenth receiver at the three-yard line. I believe that was Ryan Swenson again. And I'll bring up... Antoine Welker on the defense there, but... The Tried to force one in there. The ball was almost intercepted. Also, it hit, hit off Swinton's hands. Third down and ten. Third down and ten. Ball at the 12-yard line. I'll tell you what, Lee. I don't think you're going to get a field goal attempt here if they don't make this. Because I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh, I noticed. Is really picking up right now. This is where that block field goal came down at that end of the field. It'll hold first. They're going to run a sweep to the right side this time. And... From the wing position, yeah, Redmond with the ball as he gets close to the 10-yard line. But what it does, Tim, is it puts that football now, gets it off the left hash, it puts it on the center of the field, and it gives Roy Hall a decision here, and they're going to go for it. Yeah, because of that wind right now, he, he doesn't think the 30-yard field goal is going to help. Although I wouldn't be surprised here to see Jeanette maybe take a timeout in this situation, run some time off the clock, we'll see. Watch for Anthony Smith, the 6'5", 210-pound senior, just checked in. Here's the snap. Back to pass to Sanders. Fires over the middle. Touchdown! And it's Anthony Smith, the 6'5", 210-pound senior in the end zone. Boy, Tim, you called it perfectly. Smith checked into the game, came across the formation, sat down in the back of the end zone, played around the, uh, the, the far upright, and just picked it up, and the ball was perfectly thrown by Sanders into the end zone for the score. And the thing is, is Giovanni Sanders was not expecting the snap. That ball hit him right in the gut. Here's the point after by Redman, and it hits the shot. Water scoots over, and it's good. Wow. 7.29 here to play in the fourth quarter. Jeanette sends their lead by 10, 25-15 over in the Shannon. You're listening to High School Football on ESPN 1280, WJSD, and the MSA Sports Network. As we approach two minutes and 10 seconds here to play, as they just start the play clock. Want to keep the ball between the hashes, if at worst between the numbers, because you do not want to go out of bounds for no way, no how in this situation if you're the Jeanette Jayhawks. Now you're for their four-down territory, Tim. Absolutely, without <laughs> question. Third down and five, ball at the 13-yard line. Sanders with the ball. He'll sweep to his right, and he's going to be brought down in the backfield. He'll lose a couple on the play as Lindsey makes the tackle, and Sanders is slow to get up. He kind of got tripped up from behind awkwardly there as Lindsey caught up with him. But, uh, yeah, that's the last thing you want to see is uh, Giovanni Sanders get hurt if you're a Jeanette Jayhawk fan. 
One minute and 18 seconds here to play in the fourth quarter. Clarendon's now taking a 28-14 lead on Avonworth. Five minutes Definitely remaining in the third quarter. Definitely worth taking a, uh, a five-yard penalty here if you had... Oh, absolutely. As the clock winds down to five seconds. Oh, they're in no hurry. Yep. Three seconds. There we get the snap off. And Sanders with the ball. Sanders is going to be caught in the backfield. And he's going to go down at the 22-yard line with 52 seconds here as they'll turn the ball over on downs. But Shannon is going to need a miracle here, trailing by 10 with 52 seconds. Boy, nice spot by the referees. But, boy, Sanders uh, was holding that ball out, not, not really protecting that ball the way he should have. Yeah, real nice spot. They marked it at the 18-yard yeah. line. <laughs> well... Hey, we haven't really we haven't really said much about the officials tonight, which is a good thing. Yeah. No, that's a tremendous thing. Yeah. Antoine takes the snap. He's back to pass. He's looking. He fires out. He completes it at the 25. To Scott. Scott goes out of bounds around the 35-yard line. Down to 44 seconds. A nice use of the sidelines there by Scott. Just the way Scott reacted after catching that football. Don't be surprised if the Lancers aren't setting up a hook and ladder play here. Well, you would, if you're Jeanette, you're expecting something like that. Absolutely. Two receivers left, two right. Antoine in shotgun formation. Takes the snap. Looking downfield. He fires right side. Gives it out to Walker. Walker at the 40 to the 45. Stays in bounds. And he's down at the 46-yard line. And they're going to stop the clock to move this chain. With 34 seconds. At least he got the first down. Oh, they started that cost very quickly. Wow. They've been doing it all night. Here's the snap. Back to pass is Antoine. He fires deep. He has a man open. The ball batted away. Incomplete. Redmond made the play. I believe Welker was the intended receiver. Or is that Scott? Scott. Yeah, Walker's over here on the near side. Yeah, good one-on-one coverage there by Redmond. Good throw by Antoine right on target, but Redmond's able to knock it down. 21 seconds left in the season here for Nishanik. This is the fastest I've ever seen a referee crew mark a ball all year long. Looks like the pros. Two receivers out to the left, one to the right. Back to pass is Antoine. He's looking, he's going to fire, he's going to complete it, and... Incomplete drop ball there by Welker at the 46-yard line. So they'll stop the clock on the incomplete, bring up third down and 10. 15 seconds left here in the fourth quarter. Guess what, Jeanette's moving on. Are they ever? And they have great second half by the Giovanni Sanders being the star of the ball game here in the second half for the Jayhawks. Here's the snap. Antoine back to pass. He rolls away from a defender. He looks downfield. He fires. It's going to be complete, and they keep him in bounds. And that should probably do it as we're down to five seconds here. Might have got the first down here. I don't nope. think so. They're going to let the clock roll out. Nope. As Jeanette defeats the Shannon here today in the second round, 25 to 15. A big win here. For the Jayhawks as they move on. We'll come back and wrap up tonight's ball game here from Hannesburg. You're listening to high school football on ESPN 1280, WJSP, and the MSA Sports Network. 
And welcome back here to Cannonsburg as unfortunately tonight the Nishanik Lancers fall to the Jayhawks as the final score of 25 to 15. And Jeanette just in the second half, Lee had a huge second half behind quarterback Giovanni Sanders as he was their offense, he was their defense, and he came away with two big picks and offensively just led this offense, uh, running the ball, making a few key passes along the way, but mainly on the ground with his leg as they were able to extend the lead out to 11 points in the second or in the third quarter, getting out to an 18-7 lead, and they really never looked back. Shanna came back, got a touchdown and cut it down to three after the two-pointer, but were unable to get any closer as Jeanette in the fourth quarter was able to push it back out to a 10-point lead and win 25-15. Yeah, the, the, the Jeanette defense, bend it, bend it, broke, break, bend it, don't break, and they, they played a lot better in the fourth quarter also. They really held the Shannon. Where was Robert Lindsay, uh, Mark, in the second half? We, we did not see him at all. Didn't see a lot of Lindsay. He had some injury problems in the first half. He had that hand injury, we believe, right? Have to wonder if Lindsay wasn't banged up. What we did wasn't banged up in this game. I'll be real interested to see what Freddie Mazzocco has to say to uh, the Newcastle News folks after the game, because uh, as you said, Lindsay was non-existent in, in, the, in the second half. And, uh, the whole running back, the whole running game was non-existent in the second half. It's the Jeanette defense; they, they made their adjustments well, and and Sanders made his adjustments. You know. I'm going to always remember about the first half, the three and fourth down stops by Jeanette's defense. Really key in this ball game because Nishanik had a chance early in this game to kind of take control of the scoreboard. Yes. And they were unable to do it, especially the one down at the one-yard line. That was a really, truly heartbreaking scenario uh, when Antoine kept the ball and was unable to get into the end zone on fourth down and where they could have uh, got the lead for the first time, which they never actually had the lead in today's uh, ball game, as they ended up tying the game at seven, and that one would have gave them the lead. And the other two times where they were deep in Jeanette's territory and unable to convert on fourth down, that was really um, a big key part of tonight's ball game. You have to think, too, without question, that was definitely the key to the game tonight. But let's take into account, though, Tim, this run the last four years, from the Shane Lance for a program that had been in right. the playoffs four times in right. the history of the right. school. Four straight years making it to this point of the season. Three semis, one quarterfinal appearance. Uh, oh, nothing to be ashamed of. No. Nothing, nothing at all. They're going to hold their heads high. I thought they played well tonight. It's just you got to give up to Jeanette, who defensively made those three huge stops in the first half, and in the second half were able to use their quarterback. You know, and his uh, talents in Giovanni Sanders really running the ball was key in the second half as they were able to take advantage of uh, really Nishanik and keep their defense on the field most of the second half and that was a big part of uh, I thought tonight's ball game you look at the yeah, well no question Sanders give the guys up front too because they shut down the Nishanik rush a little bit more Sanders was getting pressured in the pocket in the first half second half he was able to scramble three Get out of tackles and able to make big gainers for the, for this team. You, you got to like the way he he handled himself today. Uh, for only junior quarterback, hey, with that kind of quarterback factor, plus didn't have Kareem Hall all game. Right. He's missed two playoff games so far. Yeah. He's a junior too. This is a Jeanette team. 
set up for a good hey, run. It's a title contender right now. Correct. But guess what? They're also one next year as well with those two players returning for the Jayhawks. And uh, I, I really like the way this Jeanette team handled Roy Hall and his staff made some serious adjustments in the second half and, and, did, a, and did a tremendous job winning this football game here tonight. You know, another key I thought was uh, was Ray Hall uh, used his quarterback, Sanders, uh, and using uh, Spino and, and Schmidt, two big, or Smino, I guess you want to call them. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Spino, I don't know. Anyway, and Schmidt, both of them, one six four, one six five. Two tall receivers. Yeah. Those are big targets in a high school football. And the only reason we know that is the fact that he's six foot four and he's one of the stars of the Jeanette basketball. Yeah. Team. So when we look at the what, what yeah, use his receivers well, without a question. And plus, flip to the defensive side real quick. What they did was anytime Antoine went to run the football, especially in the second half, they were coming from the backside. They were able to stop Antoine. You didn't see those big seven, eight, ten first down gains for Antoine, right. you know, maybe a yard or two at the time because he was getting hit from the backside all night long. Yeah, stay, stay tuned to WK when you flip it over at the end of this game because Cardinal World Catholics made a comeback. Now they're up 21 20 on Bishop Canavan. Clarence up on Avonward 34 14. And that Frazier game, Shenango loses to Frazier 14 13. Wow. Well, yeah. I guess our season's done, huh? Yeah. Hey, quick, like quick stats at the, the end line. of this game. Uh, Franco Tuano was 16-25, unofficially, very much so. 16-25 for 145 yards. Lindsay was 10, 10 carries for only 32 yards. Uh, Jonah Vitale, nine, 9 carries for only, or excuse me, 7 carries for only uh, 22, 38 yards for Vitale. Uh, Frank Antuano also had 19 carries for 61 yards. Sanders on the other end, 24 carries for 133 yards for Sanders. He was 6-11 through the uh, air with for 169 yards passing. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Antuano had something like 55 or 56 yards at halftime. Yeah, he had 52, I believe it was. Okay. Yeah. And so he got nine, nine yards nine. rushing the second wow. half. That is key. Yeah, and the Shanix running game, you hit on Tim. Yeah. Right off the get-go, their running game was non-existent in the second half. There's no question about it. Huge part of tonight's ball game, and congratulations to the Jayhawks from Jeanette as they win yeah. tonight, 25-15 over to the Shack Lancers. And guys, I gotta thank you both. I've enjoyed this football season. I it came as a surprise to me late. <laughs> I no seriously, I didn't know about Mark's health or anything, but any of you guys, yeah. you know, prior to I got a phone call late in uh, in August. And I, I've enjoyed it. I've had a great time. Well, you're done now because you're the bad luck charm now. Yeah, we well, get to yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the question is, okay, the I'll question is, I want to thank him, though, because yes. he survived the season with you. It's amazing. <laughs> no, you but know what? Seriously, I've enjoyed this football season tremendously, and it has a lot to do with both of you and how welcoming you guys have been uh, to me and helping me along the way this season. Thank you both for letting me tag along for some of these games because it has been a very nice time. And you know what? I kind of like this three-man crew. I don't, you know, I told you a little couple weeks ago, okay, for 20-some years, I've had to be the play-by-play guy. I've been playing straight man for 20-some years. I don't have to play straight man anymore. I love it. This is great. I'm enjoying every minute of it. And, uh, well, hopefully we'll get to do it again someday in the future. Too bad the season has come to an yeah. end. 
two great runs from our Lawrence County teams yeah. our Nishanic Lancers and our Shenango Wildcats both with big senior classes the, the, of course and real quick with the landscape of high school football maybe changing in uh, well, 2016 and beyond here in western Pennsylvania we don't know what's going to happen but hopefully these two teams stay in the same way for a long time and they hopefully they find a way to bring as many of the Lawrence County schools back together because having be the county schools in one league with the exception of maybe Mohawk because of the size that would be fantastic without a doubt so yeah it's been a fun year Tim thanks for tagging along and uh We'll see what next year brings. And there's going to be a whole new change, as you said, with the 6 day football, depending. Uh, stay tuned to the local uh, yeah. area to see what happens when next next month. Uh, they'll make a decision. Uh, th- th- all the numbers come out, I believe, December 10th or 12th, right around in there. All the numbers for the schools, uh, with the, see what schools, the classifications come in, and the WPL will make an announcement early next year of what their decision is going to be, what they're going to do for football and all the other sports. Yeah, and don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if it stays for classifications in WPL, and also don't be surprised if the WPL does not participate in the state playoffs for two, at least two years. Don't be shocked yeah. about that. Cool. Well, cool. we'll just wait and yep. see what yep. happens. Yep. Oh, you we'll, do. we'll wait and see. You know, I want to take this opportunity to thank Lisa back at yes, the Yes, Lisa. has been with <laughs> us all season long. He's done a terrific job putting up with all three of us, and uh, without her, we can never have uh, had the season we have had. So my thanks goes back to Lisa for all her hard work. My thanks to Lee Moans and Mark Schoss for letting me tag along this high school football season. I'm hoping you enjoyed it as well as you listen to this year on ESPN 1280 WGST and the MSA Sports Network. So once again, our final score here from Cannonsburg. Once again, our final score was Jeanette 25 Nishanik, 15. Have a great night. High school basketball is not that far away. Stay tuned for more high school sports here on ESPN 1280 WGST and the MSA Sports Network.